Hi, welcome to Romance Writers Therapy. This week we've got a guest with us, Troy Lambert of Plotter, and Marty V, as usual, and Kate Pryor, myself, as usual. Hi, Troy. Hi, Troy. Hi, guys. How are you? (laughs) Fantastic. It is wonderful to be here. I, you know what is funny as I didn't even know this was a romance writer's chat. So that gives me even more to talk about. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I saw in your email, the part where you said you had a specific outline in your plotter software dedicated to romancing the beat. I was like, I just want to know about that. I know. Oh, (laughs) tell me more. (laughs) <laughs> and I use it. This is that you're going to find oh, that I use it. I use it t- for two different things. And we'll talk about that. We can talk about that as we keep going, you know, whatever. Awesome. Um, but yeah. And you're, you're in Idaho, right? Yes. Yes, I am. Brilliant. Have you always been out that way or? Um, sort of. So Idaho is what I call my boomerang state. Um, like I've moved away and then I've moved back uh-huh. and then I went in the army and traveled around for a while and then I came back and then I moved away and I came back. And so now that our kids are all gone and we're empty nesters, um, I've decided that this time I don't have to move away and come move back. I can just stay. <laughs> I can skip okay. the, the other moving part. Um, so no I more boomeranging. A, no more boomeranging. I'm just going to stay this time. I mean, every huh. time I tried to boomerang before it came back to me. So, you know. Just Can't might as well it. stay. Yeah. I mean, besides the fact <laughs> that I hate the... moving, and my oh, wife God. and I just bought a house this summer and remodeled it, and I don't want to do this moves. again ever, ever for the rest yeah. of my life. So yeah. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. How many kids do you have? Um. So <laughs> that's a long story. Um, oh, not if, really. it, if it's personal, please don't feel like you have to answer. <laughs> no, it. <laughs> no. So I have I have three of my own, but then I have a couple okay. of stepchild stepchildren as well. So it's kind of like I have three biological kids, but I like mm-hmm. if I count the kids that are kind of my kids, then I have five. So okay, okay, um, gotcha. Sweet. Big happy family. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and you write your covers look very um. Like, like thriller, mystery yeah, exactly. Type. Thriller, thriller mystery. Yes. So primarily, I write mysteries and thrillers. I have written a couple of romantic comedies under a pen name. Oh, that's and fun. After the first of the year, I'll be launching a new series that's actually a mashup of romantic comedy and serial killer thrillers. <gasps> Ooh, that Ooh, is very fun. So yes, it's about I'm doing it with a co-author, and it is okay. about serial killers who fall in love. And all of the titles are based on like rom-com type variations of rom-com titles. Uh, so uh-huh. the first, the first one in the series is titled Meat Cute, M-E-A-T, Cute. <laughs> um, couple okay, cannibals. Are there cannibals? Okay. You can kind of figure that one out. Yeah. Um, my co-writer, my favorite title she's come up with so far is Bloodless in Seattle. So, um, that's it, amazing. There's going to be amazing. romance. Blood killing. It's gonna be great. It's it I mean what could go wrong, right? Okay. <laughs> well for one thing, Troy, you don't even know. You have fulfilled something that I've been trying to make Kate do. <laughs> oh, oh my god. Hey, oh my god. Kate. Kate, this could I have be been the start trying. of a whole new thing. No, 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 no listen. I have been listen. trying. I have gifted her an entire plot and she just will not take it. I want her Kate. to write a romantic we, comedy about a grocer and 
uh, butcher and call it meat cute. <laughs> oh. She won't hey. take it. She says we're I'll looking, like trapped in a save a lot. We're looking. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. We're it's looking so for good. co-writers in this series. I mean, oh, come no. on in. Write whatever you want. You want to write 50 first kills? You know, Ooh. one funeral and a wedding. Awesome. Two funerals I'm, and a wedding. Something like that. This I, isn't fair getting. because you've like struck my weakness, which is punny titles. And <laughs> oh, like, yes. The, then you're the in. Is... You're in. We haven't even talked about fodder yet. You're already in. You're buying fodder. You're going to co-write with me. It's going to be awesome. I mean, look at it. Up. Time. We're making progress already. Mm, I love it. Okay, I so love it. I want to. I want to hear you explain plotter in your own words because I'm looking at the website and it looks really cool too. to me. It does. But I also want to get like your what, well, like there's your your thirty se- not not be thirty second. What is your the way you describe it to people? So I describe it as a visual story story management software. Um, okay. You could call it SMS and be really clever. Um, but essentially what it does is it helps you not only manage your plot and your outlining and your planning of your story, but also your series Bible. So there's a characters um, and settings and notes section that allows you to manage your research and manage your, in other words, you're managing your series, you're managing your overall, um, you're you're managing your overall um, story. Like everything about it, you can manage in one place and your overall series you can manage in one place. Um, so, but the biggest plus of it is all that is visual, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the visual aspects of that are like, because for me, okay. So before there was plotter, I had whiteboards and corkboards with strings and like colored arrows, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. now that I have a German Shepherd, I'm certain that he would knock over the whiteboard and erase it with his tail in the middle of me writing a novel, right? <laughs> and it would be over, right? And life would yeah. just be over. Um, so instead, you're doing this, first of all, digitally in a way that obviously you have backups, you know, all the kind of all the various good things about that. But the visual aspect of looking at it, many writers are visual in our planning process, right? If you've ever seen uh, J.K. Rowling's diagram of her plan for Harry Potter, it's a whole bunch of squares. Oh, it's it's cool, sort of. It's a whole bunch of squares on a piece of paper, like on a graph paper notebook type thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, this is just a much better way of doing that. It's just a more efficient. And, and the, the primary thing that I tell people, the biggest benefit is efficiency. Um, the second biggest benefit is it makes your writing more fun. But, I mean, part of that is efficiency, I feel like. I feel like when you're... You get frustrated when you're going through the planning process and the planning is not working, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you're more of a discovery writer, you're going through the revision process, but you really don't have a process. So you're just rewriting the first draft that you wrote, which is mm-hmm. why you end up writing four drafts, because it doesn't accomplish anything if you don't stop in the middle and take a look at like checking your work. And so mm-hmm. Plotter gives you this incredible ab- ability to visually check your work and see how did I do with my writing? How is, how is my planning? Now, now I planned something. Now I wrote it. And if you're anything like me, what you wrote doesn't come out like what you planned. Exactly. Your characters do their own thing. Your muse throws in a, a wrench right in the middle of everything, you know, um, whatever the case may be. And so then I check my work with like, this is what I plan to write. This is what I actually wrote. 
Now let me take a standard story structure like Romancing the Beat, like the um, romantic comedy beat sheet or whatever the case may be, and stack it up against my work and see how did I do? How's my pacing? Did I Do I have an inciting incident? Does this scene have conflict in it or does it just need to be thrown out? Whatever the case may be. So you can really see like the gaps in like what you, whatever you missed the first draft. Yeah, so your plot holes, you're basically preventing plot holes before you edit the plot holes. Because often what happens as writers is we go, okay, so I, I wrote the first draft, I sit down and I start writing the second draft. Well, by the time I'm halfway through that draft, I'm into the story again. So I'm reading what I mm -hmm. think I wrote, all those kind of things, right? I haven't given myself mm -hmm. any distance. So I'm editing grammar and punctuation in a scene I really should delete. And then my mm -hmm. editor's probably going to tell me to delete later. Right. So I'm wasting time, both mine and my editor's time. Now, since my editor is probably charging me for their time, I'm also wasting mm -hmm. money. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? So as a writer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, and regardless of your path to publication, OK, one of my pet peeves is just wasting time. Like, I don't like to waste time. Mm -hmm. um, I just don't I just don't like it. You know, yeah. be like, well, no, you know, this you. isn't a waste. That isn't a waste. You know, I'm like, I am an entrepreneurial mindset type person. So to me, wasting time is extremely, I'm like, I just can't, I'm seeing dollar signs when I'm wasting time. Yeah. Um, well, and also so, time, like writing is so time intensive. And well, there's no way to really track how many hours have gone, at least for me, how many hours have gone into a book. Um, yeah. And... I mean, just anywhere that you can kind of take some of the pressure off of your brain to retain. Yes. Is kind of just a really nice opportunity to do. Because it's not so much the wasting of... I don't like wasting time. I tend to be a rather um, productive person. But I also tend to be very like, well, this decision got me to that decision sort of thing. Um, but it's the mental drain for me. Any way that mm -hmm. I can take something out of my brain, because I rely so heavily on it. All of my systems yeah. are so locked up top. Oh my gosh, Kate. If I would just what? write a note somewhere, oh. that'd be amazing. <laughs> All of my thoughts have to stay in my brain to exist, apparently. I know. Just like pour them out into like a little cup oh. and come back to them. Good Lord. Now I was yeah. reading that like, you know, I was reading about like decision fatigue recently mm -hmm. about how mm -hmm. you can only make so many decisions in a day before like the quality of them goes down before yeah. your overall energy goes down. Like, and I like that this seems to help like kind of naturally point to things by visual, like the way I'm seeing it, things laid out mm -hmm. in yeah, the it is, sort of demo. It looks very intuitive to use. Yeah. Yes. Like I love mm -hmm. that it has like, in this, like, when you go on the website, it has this little looping clip of it does. how you can pick things up and move them around. And I'm just loving this, that you have the main plot and then you can have, like, your character, like, different lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love, well, and, like, like, I don't that That's what I've wanted for a very long time. <laughs> to be oh, able, yeah. Like, to be able to pick things up and just plot them elsewhere. Yeah. Like, there's the whole plot hole. I'm going to fill it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and I mean, part of the... Oh, I'm getting a weird echo. Okay, I'm going to try not to get that echo. Okay, maybe that'll fix it. Um, but, um, yeah, so part of it is is too, like that series Bible feature, 
the way I always describe it to people is like, what if you don't remember what color Susie's eyes were in chapter two, right? What do you do? Mm-hmm. Well, you go back and read chapter two. Well, if you're like me, then you're like, well, that sentence was awkward. I should probably edit that sentence and that sentence and that sentence. Uh-huh. Oh, look mm-hmm. at this part. I didn't really research this part thoroughly. Maybe I should research that now. And wow, there's a Quora thread about that. And look, somebody on Reddit commented about that. And suddenly I'm like down this rabbit hole. And I now I'm extremely knowledgeable about this one tiny little point of my novel, but I haven't written a word, right? Yeah. And been, even as a full-time writer, like you have time, right? Like I have a certain amount of time to write, but I still have life, right? I still have mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. that interfere and I have to manage the business of writing. So my writing time is still precious, but I remember when I had a full-time job and I'm writing on the side and I'm writing in these few precious hours early in the morning. And I mean, you think about that, like how, like just the amount of Mm -hmm. agony of losing an hour of that time, yeah, right? that you just can't get back because you, you don't have another time in the day to write. You don't have, you've got kids, you got a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I wrote my first novel was horrific. Like I was in an office that used to be a closet under our stairs from four 30 to seven 30 <laughs> in the morning. Um, because I knew That's my kids would not get up <laughs> at four 30. Well, yeah, you know, your kids aren't going to get up at four 30. I always tell parents, no, they do I don't sometimes. know if I want to get up early in the morning. I'm like, look, my kids, I don't know about your kids, but my kids, if I stayed up late, they would come into oh, my yeah. office. Dad, why do you get to stay? I got to go to bed. And can I have a glass of water? And, you know, <laughs> but 4.30, my kids aren't getting up for things they wanted to do, let alone for something that their dad was trying to force them to do. Right. So I'm yeah. like, so I'm like, look, that was my writing time. That was mm-hmm. my precious writing time. So. You weren't taken away from that. So I had to learn, because I'm a researcher by nature, to not go back and research. And that's where that series Bible information is so valuable, because it keeps you from doing that. That rereading, re oh, gosh. Um, just the amount of time Getting that, that stuck alone saves you is yeah, yeah valuable. So, mm-hmm. so, so valuable. Um, so I am a discovery writer and you would use this in like the revision setting to double check pacing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's one of the ways that discovery writers use plotter. I mean, I use it throughout the whole writing process. So I use it in the planning process. Then during the writing process, I use that series Bible to check facts. So I don't ever go out of my writing environment. I write in Scrivener. I have plotter open on a separate screen. Okay. If I need a fact from my, from my series Bible, I look over at plotter. I look back, but you can have it on another tab on your computer and just click over and click back. Right. It would, you you would get the same impact, right. By doing that. Mm -hmm. But your, my essential thing is like I write in Scrivener. I have plotter on the, on the one window and I don't ever leave that Scrivener space to go check that fact. I'm still hmm. there. That's still central on my screen. And so overall, I just spend less time going back and forth. And it makes that time, my word counts are higher. My, my, it's more productive, but also my first draft is better because I don't have as many of those, um, blocks that I put in there. Like what color were her eyes that keep mm-hmm. me going back and looking or, 
insert gun here. Instead, I've, yep, I've exactly. got reference right there. You know what I mean? So the revision process uh-huh. goes faster, too. And the first draft is better. I'm never going to tell you you're going to write, write great first drafts because you're just not. I mean, 30 novels in, and I'm like, I just did Nano, right, with a group that I mm-hmm. did for Plotter. Um, and I wrote a horrible first draft. Go ahead and let yourself write a horrible first draft because they're all going to be horrible. So just live with it, accept it, right? But yeah. you can keep making them better to a certain extent. <clears throat> so, yeah. There's less to clean up because you've done this before and you know, you know, how to set yourself up for better revisions. Right. And hopefully hopefully your story structure gets better because as you write more stories and at the same time you consume and study more stories, then you get that innate sense of story structure and you're just better at this. You're just absolutely you just get better. Um, and that's the other thing I use Potter for is studying story structures, studying. I take apart a movie or a show that I liked or a book that I liked and figure out why did it work? Why was it good? And this other one wasn't. And then how can I apply that to my writing? So you'll actually take like the plot points and plug them into Plotter and see how they lay out. Yep. I'll rip it apart That's scene fine. by scene. Yeah. One of the things I've done, so I'm a big fan of Breaking Bad. I don't know if you guys like okay. Breaking Bad. Um, I have only seen, seen the first season. My husband oh. is helping me watch <laughs> oh, so it. No spoilers. Like, literally, we just started. Oh. I know how it ends. But, like, oh, okay. 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 I I literally just started, like, a month ago. Um, wow. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, so I know. no spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. But, so... Unlike other TV series that you see uh-huh. at times, right? Vince Gilgan, the guy who created it, had a plot in mind for the overall series when he started. So he had an ending in mind when he started. So he had a three-act structure for the whole the whole thing, right? The That's whole really series. That's incredible. Yeah. But each season has its own three-act structure. Mm-hmm. Mm. And each episode has its own three-act structure. So you can go to season one and see midpoint season one, and it lines up with, like, the midpoint of a pretty standard three-act structure, right? And so Mm -hmm. you can study that and see the reason people love this show so much and it's so brilliant, besides the writing and the content itself, is because the structure spoke to them of a good story. They could tell this was a good story being told well. Right. And because yeah, we've all had those things where you, you know, you go to that movie, you go to a movie and you, you go, man, that movie was a great idea, but the movie just wasn't good. What happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, usually something's wrong with the structure. Now, what a reader or a normal viewer will tell you is something felt wrong about that movie. Right. They don't know mm-hmm. what it was, mm-hmm. but they know something felt wrong. To us as writers, we know. If we take it apart, we know what was wrong with it. We could figure that out. And then we can go, okay, I don't want to, that's not something I want to do in my own writing. I want to prevent that in my own writing. Mm-hmm. Right. That's definitely something that Marty and I have talked about. I was just going to make this comment too. Go ahead. You know, because we, we talk <laughs> about this a lot going and seeing movies, whether good or bad movies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thinking, oh, I would have done this with that if I could have, you know, like if I could uh-huh. have just, you know, grabbed the director and shaken him by the shoulders, like, you know, that that's me. That's me talking like that. <laughs> Marty's like, yeah, I would have done that differently. Not so much. 
passive the physical assault just yeah not <laughs> not so much physical <laughs> assault but hey but still i mean you think about that right well but it's that, so much easier to see what is working or what isn't working it's so much easier to find the flaw and why something didn't execute correctly than it is to see like what did work right like why did i respond so hmm. well to that Right. It's harder and to put your finger here's on. Here's the reason uh-huh. why that's hard to put you put your finger on. Okay, so when we talk about editing your work, right? We often talk about mm. getting distance from your work. Mm. So mm-hmm. some people say wait two months, right, before you reread that story. But except that doesn't really work. Because you wrote it, usually you get back into the story and you have the same problems you had if you had looked at it two months ago. Besides mm-hmm. the amount of time that that wastes, right? But if yeah, because that's the other issue. Apart, is like, okay, now now I have just a waiting period that I have yeah. to fill with other work to do. Yeah, yeah, and then like then you still have to go back into that, right? But anyway, all that stuff aside, besides the and, and we, we can just talk about it as a publishing delay, and I we won't go down the road of what pub, the state of publishing as it is right now, um, mm-hmm. and as it's changing towards. But part of that is writing speed, right? It does matter. Um, and, you know, if you want to do this for a living, if you want to do it for a hobby, um, which actually some people should, it's great. Then don't, you know, don't worry about what I'm saying right now. But mm-hmm. um, except to say that that's also aggravating. Like you go back to your work and you're like, I can't see what I wanted to see. Right. So instead, mm-hmm. the way you get distance is you pull it apart and put it scene by scene on a plotter timeline or whatever. And then you you're looking at those objectively from a distance. So you just write what a summary of that scene is as you read through it the first time and put it on a plot line. And then when you go back and look at it, you can look objectively at that scene because it's no longer in context. You're not reading it. You're just reading a summary of what happened about that scene. And it's the same with a story that you really love. The problem with a story you really love is when you go searching for what worked, you get into the story again. Right. Because mm-hmm. it, it, it naturally traps you in and gets you. So you don't get that distance. If instead you go to that story, so, I mean, some of my favorite episodes of Breaking Bad, I can't watch them and see what worked, but I can mm. pull them apart scene by scene and see what worked because it gives me distance from the story. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer into the story. Instead, I'm into analysis, story analysis, and figuring out what was great, what was not great, what could have been done better, Um and ha- then I translate that, hopefully, to how do I apply that to my own writing and my the, own, the things that I do. So do you mind if we go on a tangent for a second? Sure. Why not? Okay. So you have 30 books out, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. How long have you been publishing? Um, so that's kind of a lot. Well, okay. It's not a long story. Um, so really, really since about 2009 with any success. Brilliant. Okay. So I, I had been doing things before that, but I had not, I always wanted to be a writer. I, first of all, I had not made the decision. Like you, when you're going to be a full-time writer, you have to, at some point you make the decision that this is it, right? This is, mm-hmm. um, and me, so the way I tell it is this, like I was in high school, I wrote my first book when I was six called George and the Giant Castle. And it has a plot. It's not great, but it exists, right? Nobody's ever going to read it. mm, That's Um, awesome. Yeah. But, you know, by the time I was 14, I knew I wanted to be a full-time writer. I mean, I knew Mm -hmm. being a writer was what I wanted to do with my life. 
But all of the experts, all of the school counselors, the all the people the around worst, me, right? told me, mm-hmm. they told me I couldn't do it. And here's yeah, the thing. Absolutely. They, they were the mm-hmm. experts. So I believed them. Mm-hmm. So I tell people 30 years of hairnets and name tags and various careers later, mm-hmm. I decided I really need to figure this writing thing out or I'm not sure what I'm going to do with the rest of my life because I'm not happy. And when I'm not writing, mm-hmm. I'm not a good person. Um, hmm. and, and I'm just not. Um, I, because I the opposite this is of uh, the opposite of creativity is rage. And that like just makes so much sense to me. Oh, anyway, it, you saying like, you don't, you're you not a nice that? person. What? Yeah, look. I heard it via um, Rachel Rogers podcast. And she was talking okay. about research that Brené Brown did. Yep. And I've heard mm-hmm. this before. I mean, the a, create, a creator who is not creating is a monster courting insanity. Um, and huh, speaking, from, <laughs> speaking from personal experience, I can tell you that that's true. Like, yeah. there, there was a very rough period of my life. It's a long story that I'm not going to, I'm not going to go deep into, but I mean, I was, and, but we can on another podcast about mental health, but not on this one. But anyway, mm. um, uh, if you want to love conversations about mental health here. So, yeah, yeah. Do. <laughs> if you want me to come back and talk about that, I can come back and talk about that another time. Really? But I can tell you that, you know, I was in a bad place. Um, I was married to the wrong person for a few years of my life. Um, and I didn't write hardly at all. Um, and when that period was over, I wrote an extremely long writing piece that there are only two people in the world have ever read it besides me. Um, and nobody else is ever going to, but that writing was the therapy that snapped me out of that period and propelled me, um, to, to be able to recover. Um, I also Mm -hmm. wrote a poem during that time and I, um, I can't read it without getting emotional Mm -hmm. myself Mm -hmm. because the context was I was sitting around a campfire with a couple of different people um, in this and in the midst of the situation and they started talking through the scenario and they're like, Oh, you could probably just write a story about this right now. And in my mind, I was like, actually I could the scenario they were talking about. Mm-hmm. And I began to write it in my phone, in my phone, in the form of a poem. I didn't have any service. I didn't have, but I didn't have a notebook or anything. So I just wrote it in my phone. Um, at the time, and I've done very little to edit it, but it was very autobiographical at the time, and I can't make it through reading it without getting extremely emotional. Um, those two moments, that poem and the piece I wrote after all the things, all those bad things were over, literally saved my life. Um, mm. So what I can tell you, my and my whole reason for going off on that tangent and coming back to our current topic is to say that Writing is a vital part of my life, regardless of whether I'm getting paid for it or not. Um, my, my experience before I was writing all the time was that I was just never satisfied with anything else. There, mm-hmm. there was no satisfaction that I found with anything else that I did with my life to the level um, that there's the satisfaction with the fact that I'm a writer. So when I do these things for like plotter and I do book coaching and stuff like that, I don't do it for the money. Although, you know, I mean... I need money. If you can see me, you can mm-hmm. see um, I clearly like to eat and my wife likes mm-hmm. nice things. So, you know, we need to, I have to make money, right? But I don't do it for the money. I do it because yeah, no, I, I love it. writers. 
And I Mm -hmm. want them to not make the same mistakes I did when I was younger. And I want them to be successful. So I always say Plotter is a writing tool, right? This is a tool that's designed to help you write. So you can create the most beautiful Plotter file in the world, and that will make me extremely happy. I love beautiful Plotter files. You know what makes me happier is you show me the Plotter file, and then you show me the finished first draft you completed using that file. And now I'm happy because I know you're writing, and that's what really matters to me. Mm Mm-hmm. So you mentioned using your phone to, you know, jot something down when you don't have anything else. I do that a lot too. That's, you know, mm-hmm. when I, when I'm going through that, that's pretty much the only way I, I write, you know? And yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of like wondering, is Plotter like available as like an app form? Because I yes. do try to like outline in like notepad and that's, it's never no. as organized as I want it to be, you know? So there is a Plotter iOS app, and there's also another option now. So we have, there's two versions of Plotter. There's the desktop and the app version, right? But then there's a new version that's called Plotter Pro that's a web version. And you can access that anywhere you can access a browser, basically. Um, And it also allows you to do some cool collaboration things, right? Um, But so I use that a lot on the go. Now, I tend to use my iPad because... Um, I have what I call experienced eyes, um, which basically means I'm old, um, and okay. so I can't see. <laughs> um, so I, it's hard for me to actually plot with plotter on my phone. I can do it, but it's it, it it's kind of aggravates small. me yeah. because it's mm-hmm. too small of a screen, um, which is the same reason lots of things on my phone aggravate me. But, you know, I'm again, I'm old, you know, so I can complain about stuff and nobody, everybody says, oh, that's normal. Um, but anyway... Uh, but I love my iPad. I love doing it on my iPad. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, you can use whatever device you, you know, Android tablets. I'm not an Android guy. I'm an Apple guy, but you know, Android tablets, all those different things, you can use it on whatever. Um, and the web version that you can now use, it used to be really difficult to use it on a Chromebook because of the operating system. Um, mm. but now with the Plotter Pro, you can use it on a Chromebook because, you know, if you got access to the internet, you, you have access. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, so, so yeah, that mobile plotting, because for me, there are just times when I need to just jot something down or do something like make a change really quick mm-hmm. or like when I'm traveling. So normally when I'm at home, I have two screens, no problem, right? When I'm traveling, I don't have two screens. I have my laptop. Um, so I use my iPad as a second screen and look at my plotter file on it. You know, whatever. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just a workaround. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of this stuff is like, I'll tell people, some of these things are just my process. Like, it's my workaround. And people will be like, can I imitate your process? And I'm like, yeah, and it might actually work for you. It might not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're, you will find your own writing process that works for you. And usually, you know, you will find a place that Plotter works into that writing process. It might not look like mine. But it will work for you. And that's really what's important is that it works for you. It doesn't, whether that works for me or not. I mean, people have come up with some wacko ways they use plotter. And I'm like, hey, that's great. I can't think like that. Like, my brain explodes when you start talking about that stuff. But, you know, I, it's good for you. If it keeps you writing, that's really all that matters. Oh, you know, it. now it occurs to me, like, what it reminds me of. Um 
Are you familiar with the the comic strip XKCD? No. No? Okay. (laughs) Only a little bit. And the only reason I say that is because I have a friend who occasionally sends me their comics because he is a big Mm -hmm. webcomic guy. And so he'll just send me ones he thinks that I think will are funny. And usually I do think they're funny, but I don't go read it myself and find them. So Yeah, no, I do that with my dad too, you know, and like my brother. It's usually like, Oh, you would love this math jokes, right? My dad texts me math jokes like every day. (laughs) That's the cutest thing ever. (laughs) Your dad. He's such a doll. (laughs) I know. I know. Uh, but okay, but so, so there's there was one XKCD strip because like so Randall Monroe, who's the the artist behind the the web comic, he's he does like so so many different things. Like he touches on so many different topics, and one of the the like the most impressive to me strips that he's done is he took Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Twelve Angry Men, Jurassic Park, and he mapped out every character in the in the movies or books and kind of mapped out the ways that they interact with each other over the course of the entire series or or just the movie or the book and Ooh. it's it i'll send it you the link because visually it's so nice and it's yeah. just oh. stunning but like as you go through it, you look at it and go, okay, that's that scene. I know because these guys are all clumped together now. And then we're introducing this character who's been all the way down at the bottom until now. Ooh. It's, it's wonderful. I love and that. that it, you're the looking at the timelines, really. I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, that's what this is. And I oh, love it. Oh, wow. That is I so like cool. I like that. Yeah, that like made my brain tingle. <laughs> like, yeah, that... That speaks to my nerd story structure self. Like, right? I'm the kind of person that I will just, like, dissect a story for no other reason than that it's there, and I find it fascinating. Um, and, and maybe that says something about me. I'm not sure what that is. What, whatever it is, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. Um, no, no, I but, get you. Yeah. It's like, you yeah. know when you're um, in school and you're learning about and your teacher's drawing, like, the the roller coaster, the here's the the... Uh-huh. action the the oh my god what is the word <laughs> the three act structure structure the three act structure thank you so much yeah 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 <laughs> and it's like and here's the roller coaster and here's where it goes up and here's where the dramatic tension goes down and you're like i wish this was more complex so i could mm-hmm. like you know micromanage my plots <laughs> a little yes better. you know this doesn't give me enough to work with well yeah and that's like, the shape of stories is like they're all similar Right. Mm. So if you look at story structure, the more you study story structure, like advanced story structures and stuff like that, the more you see that they're similar. But what's different about them is like the complexity and then the terminology, whether that terminology resonates with your genre or not. Mm. So, for example, like the romancing the beat story template. Right. You guys, if you've read the book, do you like romancing the beat? Are you? Oh yes, definitely. Okay. We're definitely guess close. what else? Guess what else? Romancing a beat works really well for murder mysteries, thrillers. I would think so. Thrillers, yeah. but to make Ooh, it work, okay. you have to change the terminology. So for okay. me, I just translate right because I'm a story structure nerd. I sit down with romancing a beat and I see exactly how that can translate to thrillers. Now, one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm developing a new template um, for Plotter that basically. Re, like re 
purposes romancing the beat for thrillers. And I'm just going to call okay. it like thrilling the beat or something like that. I don't know what I'm going to call it. Okay. Um, I love it. And the reason is I'm just changing the language because the beats are the same, right? Mm-hmm. Except mm-hmm. we're not going to call it, um, I, uh, just lost whatever romance in the beat thing, but we're not going to call it the same thing in a romance that we do in a thriller. Right. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the essential background backbone behind it is identical. Right. Yeah. No. So as you're saying works. this, I'm re- remembering every time that someone said, you know, if you took this rom com and like one of them was a serial killer, it or just did it from like the other person's yeah. perspective, it would be a yeah. horror movie. And it's yeah. like, yeah, you're right. Exactly. Well, in some That's of those, really like if you if you think about like that's typical, let's take the typical Hallmark romance, lifetime romance story, right? Mm, um, the girl okay. goes to the country. Uh, she falls in love with her high school sweetheart in a small town and her boyfriend from the big city who's always made out to be an asshole and is in suits and stuff like that. Um, that dude is is the bad guy and the, the guy in the flannel shirts driving the old pickup truck wins out, right? Um, yeah. I mean, and, and he has a dog and it's all wonderful and it's love and light. And everybody sings Christmas carols at the end. But think about if that story was told from the perspective of the boyfriend in the city. His girlfriend goes to the country, meets somebody from her high school in a flannel shirt, and breaks up with him. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Different story. Very different story. And all you have to do to make that a thriller or something like that is add some kind of psychotic or sociopathic tendency to that guy who goes after the dude in the flannel shirt and you got a whole different story. You, you got a horror no, story exactly or a thriller that. All you do or is whatever. You have to change the music that's playing in these moments. Yeah. And, yeah. Sometimes, and change like, the perspective. It everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I want to see that on Lifetime. I want to see the one on Lifetime where the guy from the city comes out and it turns out, yeah, he wears the suit. But he's a black belt in Taekwondo because his dad was from Japan and he kicks that guy's butt all over the place and hits him over the head with his axe and then something. Justice I don't know. for this guy. You know, justice for the guy from the city justice who lost his suits. Who lost justice his, for suit guy. I mean, yeah. I love I mean, it though. He'd lost his girlfriend because she went home for Christmas. I mean, what a tragedy, you know? Um but anyway. Well, yeah. So, and then yeah. there's also an argument to be made that, like, he's been blindsided by this, too. Like, where was the communication between her and him and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, it makes a good Daniel Steele book or a good Hallmark story. But the truth is, in real life, like, some of the things that we accept in fiction, if mm-hmm. those happened in real life, we would not be okay with it. Like oh, if no, you were totally. the oh, best, yeah. oh yeah, if you were the best friend of that country girl, and you were her best friend in the city, who worked with her at whatever law firm she worked at, and she went home and suddenly came home with a dude, came back to the city with a dude in flannel driving an old Chevy pickup truck, what would you do to your friends? You would be or like, why are you be all like, of girl, you in a cult? Yeah, yeah. what is wrong <laughs> like, with you? Like, what happened to you? You know, it's been two weeks. Yeah, life did you, has changed. Did I you get hit on the head in the country? Did you fall over something? That's a dangerous place. Come back to the city where it's safe, right? I mean, you know what I mean? It it becomes mm-hmm. a whole different story. So it it's it's just interesting to me that some of those things that we accept in like a tropey type story, we would mm-hmm. never accept in our real lives. That would not be mm-hmm. cool. It would not be acceptable at all. 
No, that is kind of, I think, like, like that gets into its own tangent of, like, things you'll accept in fiction, but, like, in life are total red flags. Like, I always see those TikToks and I'm like, yeah, but I'm going to keep reading it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, that because that is very true. Like, there are some things that in your life would be a total red flag. I'd be like... You know, one of those things of the, like, uh, the tri-fails that happen in a lot of those romances, one of those things happened when I was dating a chick and I'd be like, nope, I'm out. You know, <laughs> there'd be like, <laughs> well, no you know, way. Like, delete her number, of, yeah. you know, block <laughs> on social media, I'm done, right? It um, kind of works the, the opposite way, too, though. There's, like, because things need to be tied up kind of neatly in a story in a way that in real life, they aren't so like I've you know you know because I look at everything in this story analytical kind of way like looking for the beats in things you know sometimes in real life I'm like oh, if this was the moment in like a Hallmark movie we would have to break up right now because like the story just demands it but then it's like actually in real <laughs> life I think we could talk this out and like <laughs> yeah get to a better yeah. place and like have some nuance you know well, and unless Unless it's only been two weeks. See, that's part of the thing. Unless it's only been two weeks. (laughs) The relationships mature, like, really quickly. And I'm like, I don't know that that happens as much in real life. as. And, I mean, I understand. We're under the constraints of a movie that happens in a relatively short period of time. So we're suspending our disbelief for a little bit. Um, And the truth is, so this is another thing that writers often get hung up on. And it kind of goes back to actually talking about plot. Um is the fact that they get hung up on creating this perfect story, right? That everything mm-hmm. works, right? Mm-hmm. But then I go, well, okay, you created this this story with this thriller where all the elements are really true to real life, right? And then I'm like, have you seen John Wick? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it needs like, to be like a little I, out there. I just yeah. send them, real life. I send them the YouTube link. There's a guy that's like, um, he's a, I don't know. He's a bone specialist or some kind of doctor, right? And he goes through John Wick and talks about every single bone in the body based on John Wick because he gets hit everywhere, right? So it just explains the whole skeletal anatomy using John Wick as, you know, the movie John Wick. It's so hilarious. It's so hilarious. Because it's like, if you think about that, like how do we suspend our disbelief for Die Hard, John Wick, all those different things. Yeah. As writers, we're perfectly comfortable with watching them. Everything's okay until it comes to our own writing. And then we're like, well, it never would really work like that. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> cares? Like they, there's many of these books, Jack Reacher, The Gray Man by Mark mm-hmm. Greeny, all those books are based on the fact that there is no way a normal person could survive that. But, yeah. like, we believe that that person can survive it because, you know, they get shot in the shoulder and they're back in action the next day. And I'm like, no, you wouldn't. Mm. Be. You'd be on your couch on drugs. I promise you would be. Did either of you guys watch the most recent season of uh, Stranger Things? Yes. Okay. I was throwing a fit when Hobbs is barefoot in the snow. For like, like a day. He's yeah. Barefoot in the yeah. Snow. No, he would be losing those toes. Yeah. And he would have be no skin left toes. on his feet. Oh, for sure. Like that would be a black foot. 
And he just like goes in and he gets peanut butter first. I'm like, dude, you can't walk right now. (laughs) Yeah. Are you kidding me? Uh, Yeah. No, it was definitely one of those things where I'm like, they are making me suspend my reality too far right now. Like I have felt snow. That's too cold. (laughs) Like give him a boot. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Have you ever gone out for this? Oh, go ahead. I I was in the army in, in Fort Hood, Texas. And this friend of mine just got, I mean, he just got wet boots. And we didn't have a real Ooh. great way to dry out, right? Oh, um, and no. he ended up with nerve damage in his feet from oh, frostbite. No. Oh, my God. And he, the guy couldn't yeah. run anymore because there were days when he just couldn't feel his feet. And he wouldn't know it oh, until he started to run and then would just <gasps> fall over, right? Um, and so when I was watching, I was the same way. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, dude's got frostbite already. And he's got permanent nerve damage, even if oh, he recovers, absolutely. even if he doesn't yeah. lose his toes. He's got for permanent nerve damage that's never going to correct. Like it's never coming back. And then he just goes on back. with the rest of the season being a bad oh, yeah. A. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, no, of course, can't do that. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I don't. I'm sorry, guys, you pushed it too far. Like it's so hard to the find, mind like, bending that line. of eleven. I'm fine. <laughs> but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and no. this is the thing. Like, you look at like Die Hard, right? And they shoot mm-hmm. all the glass out, and then here comes John McClane running over all this broken Barefoot. glass. Yeah, and I'm like, mm. if you have ever like gotten Oof. one piece of I broken know it hurts glass so bad. in your foot, like it hurts so bad, so like you bad. can't even, like because your feet are so freaking. I mean, you stub your toe on the and corner of your bedpost, so and you are like, you stub your toe <laughs> one time, and you're like limping, and you would think that you like had just you know, torn your leg off or something. Yeah, right? this is the so end of painful. my life as I knew it. Yeah. yeah this, is, this is the end. It's all, I see the light. Should I go to the light? No. I and, would rather you know, die than live through this. Yeah, <laughs> than live through this incredible pain, right? And it does go away. Like, it subsides and goes away. But, like, in that moment, you're not continuing to run with a no. pistol in your hand and leaning backwards and shooting people and actually hitting them. Like, it just hmm. doesn't happen. Like, ah! Just crazy. I mean, yeah. but that so is the funny. excitement. And, like, that's yeah. part of, like, the promise. Because we talk a lot about, like, the promise that you make to your readers. But, like, as a thriller writer, that scene is part of the promise that you make to your readers. That's one of the reasons why they came to your book. Well, yes. Yeah, so, and see, so... here's... This is funny. This is funny. Because I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Is it the magic system? So, like, when you create a mm. fantasy, you create a magic system, right? Mm-hmm. Ooh, yes. And within yes. that magic system, yeah, I'm totally as long as you follow your own rules, it's fine, mm-hmm. right? Thrillers mm-hmm. are the same. We set up from the beginning that this guy is almost invincible, right? That he's mm-hmm. going to experience pain, he's going to experience hardship, but he's going to keep going through all of that because his motivation is strong enough. He's not even going to feel the pain of that shot through his shoulder. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we fulfill that promise by letting him be invincible. And then our readers come along with us and believe us because we never break our own rules. So it's a magic system. It's just in a thriller or a police, whatever, or John Wick or whatever the case may be. But it's just we haven't broken our own rules. We've set our own magic system and, our, and set the boundaries for our own world. And we're letting people come along with us. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Really. I really love that setting your own mm-hmm. rules for the world as like yeah. a, like not just a fantasy thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, and so I mean, one of the things that writers make a mistake of is they don't do this in the first draft. 
right? To bring mm-hmm. it back to plotting, right? Mm-hmm. And so they need to, because there are times when creativity needs structure to be understood by other people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it, creativity needs structure. And people don't like to hear that sometimes. And I'm sorry they don't like to hear it, but it doesn't change like, the fact yeah. that that's what it is, right? Um, so, yeah. It's well, just, it's like anything else. It can be inserted on the tail end, but that is going to be something you have to do because you, you can't rely on everybody seeing your brain. Like, you have no. to put it clearly yeah. enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the other balance is trusting the reader to have an imagination mm-hmm. and to come along with you, but at the same time to give their imagination something to work with. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like like I tell people, okay, if you have a thriller, you don't have to describe a, ho- a cheap hotel room to us. Most of us have seen a cheap hotel room. There, there's not a huge amount of description that's needed there. Um, if you're creating a fantasy and you created a forest with purple trees, well, I need some info, man. I, you yeah. know, I need to know what's going on here. Um, there's purple trees and fairies and dragons. Okay, that's a little more world building, right? Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time with a thriller, if you're going to have somebody who has, who appears to be an ordinary person, has these extraordinary abilities, you have to have some setup for that somewhere along the way. Yeah. You know. Uh, so it's really interesting. You were talking uh, extraordinary abilities. Um, Love Actually, the little redhead kid. Uh-huh. There was yeah. a whole storyline written in that got removed that he was actually like this incredible gymnast so that they could have like in the chase scene at the end, they could have like really cool gymnastic feats and like stuff like that. Oh my God. Yeah. But it ended up being Ugh. too dense. Yeah. Right? No, I can... I think that it's good that it got cut because like, I completely yeah. agree with it getting cut. Like this kid already learned how to play the drums at a professional yeah, no, level in like three for weeks, a, like a nine-year-old or whatever to accomplish. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting. Like um, that that to have the end result that they wanted with all the gymnastics and like all of that, they would have to build it into the story before. Hmm. And yeah. I, I agree. Ultimately it was the right choice to remove, but yeah, it's just interesting. Yeah. It, well, it is interesting. And it's, it's also like the lesson we can take away as storytellers is that really there are moments when you need to kill. I mean, that was somebody's darling in the writing room. Yeah. I was going to say kill that darling. Yeah. Somebody in the writing room was like, this is awesome. Like we need to have mm-hmm. this in here. And somebody overrode them and killed it. Some editor mm-hmm. or something like that, right? And it was the right mm-hmm. call. And so a lot of times as storytellers, we need to be willing to, and, and this comes back to getting that distance from your story and looking at it and going, you know, the story, like, I, so I just edited a manuscript last year where a guy started, the, the original manuscript he sent me was a 155,000 word horror story. Oof. Okay. That's, that's a little deep. long little uh-huh. long for horror, like twice as long. Yeah. He had two books there, right? So uh-huh. we simplified and took out of some of these weird little subplots and stuff that he had. And we ended up with 72,000 words by the time okay. we were done. Right? And, but the reason is we had to be, had to be willing to say, I know you love this subplot, right? But this whole, this subplot is another novel all by itself. Mm-hmm. 
we can't have two novels in the one novel, not if you want to sell this, because it turns out to be phone book length if you print it. And nobody wants to read the phone book mm-hmm. for horror. No, and you know, even... Right? so it doesn't this, work. So I, I know every episode I talk about how much I love Tessa Dare books. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm going to do it again. Um, you know, and like, Tessa get it did. in there. It's, for, it's, it's a quota. I'm fulfilling a quota here. There you go. I'm not paid by Tessa Dare. <laughs> Just a disclaimer. Maybe you should be. I mean, maybe you should be. You know, maybe I will. I will email her about that. I think that you would just be back. happy with Tessa saying hi. Like I think at yeah, this point, yeah. you're like okay. <laughs> but so I went. You know, like I, you know, I have most of her books. At one point, I was like, I would like to have all of her books. And so I went searching and digging for her most early, you know, the things she wrote at the very beginning of her career. And so I got one of the books and I read it and it was, you know, so it's a Regency. And so at some point it goes through all the beats, but then you're halfway through the book and it's like, no, no, we could end here and this would be fine. Mm. Like it goes through the whole process of these two getting engaged and then they get married and you're like, so the love story ends here, right? But then, yeah. and like, they're happy. So you, you definitely think it's going to end there. And then they have a fight. And then they start the entire next, like a whole nother love story starts over of them being mad at each other and then figuring out huh. how to love each other in these new circumstances. But that's a oh. whole nother book right there. And I'm like, you could have cut this in half. Yeah. <laughs> and you could have had two books, Jessa. Yeah. It could have been yes. a happy for now. <laughs> yeah. Or like well, you and that's... cut it in half and just change their names and like uh-huh. that was a fine starting point. Like you could li- like nah, nah. I don't want I don't <laughs> want to rant about it, but like it was such a weird feeling reading that book because I was like it, it. I'm confused as a reader because well, the emotional yeah. arcs it puts you through. You know, it's like it finished, but we're still going. What yeah. I love about that though is like Tessa has done has done so well at yeah, like yeah. learning her craft, honing her craft, and now like writes like I mean books that are no, no. really like precise. She knows exactly what she's doing. She's doing a really good job. And so like that's really comforting to me in like my stage where I'm at in my manuscript. <laughs> yeah. But like it's okay. Just do it. It's fine. Just keep writing. <laughs> like it's okay. Like Well yeah and besides there's so growth think about anyway. this Besides the muddle in the middle that everybody talks about, right, which is that that Mm -hmm. how to write middle of the book, the truth of the matter is, though, many authors don't know where to start their book or where to Mm -hmm. end it. Like, especially when you're new. I'm hitting a lot now. So, like, when you're new, the thing is you spend two chapters getting into the story yourself and telling yourself the story. And I'm like, so 90% of the time when you're a new writer, cut those first two chapters. Because if you look at it, like if you put it on a plot line and look at it, what happens, Mm -hmm. right? Well, where's your inciting incident? Well, your inciting incident is about halfway through the book. Because Mm -hmm. you told all this story and all this backstory. And quite honestly, the reader doesn't need to know any of that to know this story that you're telling. Right? They they have Mm -hmm. no idea. Right? Um, so, So they don't need to know that. So cut it out. The other part is the ending. As an author, we want to wrap everything, like wrap everything up. And you should, to an extent, um, wrap everything up, right? Mm. But not Mm -hmm. 100%, not so much. There's nothing for the reader to 
even suppose about. Because then, Mm -hmm. first of all, you have no hope for a series because you've you've already, you've written the next part of the series into the end of the book, right? There's nothing for the readers to go on to. And also, if you think about real life, like the happily for now, when you get engaged, right? When you start wedding planning, that's a whole new book. Because honestly, you're going to have problems during the wedding planning state. If you don't, God, you're miracle workers, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Or you eloped. You just eloped and got it over with, right? Um, well, so that was. I mean, but that had its own problems. Oh yeah, then that then yeah. that launches your life in a different way, though. Mm-hmm. So if you think about that, if you let's say you elope, you just go off and elope or whatever, then your married life starts in a different way than if you had that wedding mm-hmm. planning and that big wedding, right? So it's yep. still another book, right? So we could argue that when the couple gets back together the second time or whatever, you know, that usually the romance plot is they separate. Something separates them, yada, yada, whether that's physically or emotionally or whatever. And then they get back together in the end. After that get back together in the end, there's the climax. There's your second. There's your end of the story, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if you look at the typical romance beats and the typical romance story structures, that's where they end. The temptation is for writers to go, oh, that was a try-fail. And then they add a whole other part of the book on, which doesn't need to be there. You know? Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. It's no, just that's interesting. Definitely... I think definitely one of like the number one memes that I see people like, you know, when they talk about, when they discuss romance novels, they're like, all right, I'm 90% of the way in and they haven't kissed yet. You know, it's something like that. Mm -hmm. It's like there's, they've spent so much time not really getting well paced through the romance beats and kind of like hitting those kind of um, emotional moments that yeah. need to happen, you know, in in that roller coaster. Well, yeah, exactly. And sometimes we're just like, ah, do it already. I mean, you know. <laughs> I, I, I it's mean, like, I've waited this long. Like, <laughs> it's going to make know, me wait another 50 pages. Yeah, I'm like, you're going to make me another 50 pages for this. And it's like, oh, my goodness, you know. Imagine the characters. They must be tortured at this point. You know, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, just get it over with at least, you know, whatever the case may be. Anyway, whatever. Um and, well, you know, but like writing... as long as you've set up their no way well enough, mm. then like that tension works. But yeah. it's really relying on the fact that you've set up the no way, which people don't to carry enough that's, weight. That's the thing is yeah. people don't set it up yeah. enough because they don't realize like this is that might have worked for a nineteen fifties, maybe a nineteen seventies novel, right? Depending upon mm-hmm. the cleanness mm. of your romance genre or whatever. But in the modern world, it just that just doesn't work that well. Exactly. I um, in modern mm-hmm. romance, I think that's part of it too. Is like I always tell people to like read in your genre, right? But I've yes. I've revised that now. I've said mm. you need to consume stories in your genre, which can include watching TV, listening to audio books, mm-hmm. whatever happens to be your particular poison, right? Of of consuming story. Because what really matters is consuming that story structure. It doesn't matter how you do it, you know. But I would um, even caveat that yeah. to be books written in the past, like published or like media published in the past, like five years. Like, yeah. because trends change. Like you said, like yes. it might have worked back in the 70s, but we are not writing a 1970s book here. Yes. I and... think that's especially important, you know, especially if you're looking to be especially traditionally published, but I will also kind of say it's important if you're self-publishing, mm-hmm. you know, 
where self-publishing indie publishing is just as important or more important because you are not only you're the conduit to your readers, right? Yeah. You're not insulated Um, in any way. And you don't have a brand behind you like Random House. Mm -hmm. You are your own brand, right? And so it's super important that you stay true to that own, your own brand. This is why like my romantic comedy serial killer series that's coming out at the beginning of the year will have a slight variation of my name as a pen name, right? Because I don't want people mm-hmm. coming to it expecting my serious thrillers and all of a sudden we're laughing about somebody not liking the guy's appetizers at a cannibal fest, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. That's, yes. oh, that's, gosh. there's, I mean, there's a certain amount of crossover, right? There's a certain amount of crossover. But there's yeah. also a certain amount of crossover that's not going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's a different brand than what I'm doing now. Yeah, no, right? absolutely. Different brand. It's so important. So as indie publishers, I would say that your quality and that you're meeting those tropes and that formula and stuff like that is, if anything, more important than if you're traditionally published um, or at least on well, a I par think, with it. At least on I par. I think also we are – kind of graded on a tougher scale Mm -hmm. because people will take a traditionally published book and be like, Oh, these are the experts. And Mm -hmm. they'll accept that for what it is. It comes with like more integrity is packaged into the book. Yeah. Um, Like it's got other people's backing behind it. Exactly. Whereas indie publishers, you make a mistake, like one single mistake, and we can find mistakes in traditionally published books as well. But as in, indie publishers, we're you're that one mistake small things, you know. Exactly. And you you yeah. you indie publish because you couldn't find a traditional publisher is like the mentality still yeah, in the market. Yeah. yeah that, now that is shifting though. That is, is changing and to. shifting though. Um, it is a slow shift, but there is an increasing there are an increasing number of people who don't um, even look at who the publisher is necessarily. The other aspect yeah. of that, though, is too is well, and this goes off on a complete tangent. But the the other aspect of that is how you price and how you market your books. Um, mm. I can mm. spot a lot of indie published books in the top 100 on Amazon or the whatever the case may be by the price of the book. Okay, yeah. interesting. If, I'm, so I'm you go, so, yeah. Because what's yeah. interesting is you go, if I price my books, which I haven't raised my prices as much as I probably should, but I did raise them last year. Um, and I should probably raise them again because to match what's in my genre. But you just go look at your genre and say, if Lee Child is getting $7.99 for an ebook, there's no reason you can't get $7.99 for an ebook. Right? Mm-hmm. And you look more traditionally published if your ebooks cost more. And so it's kind of weird, but people perceive the value by how you price your books. Mm-hmm. So when you no, price a book at 99 it. cents, what what happens is a lot of people will buy it on sale, but you don't get as many reads as if like my first in series of one of my series is 199, not 99. And I sell mm-hmm. more at 199 than I did at 99. Oh, that's so yeah. interesting. And when, I get more so- reviews, more organic reviews out of those two. And it's because it's not because the plotting's any different or the story's any different. It's because the perceived value is there. And so mm-hmm. if you if you make it so that your covers look like traditionally published covers, if your blurbs look like traditional blurbs, if your prices look like traditionally published prices, nobody can tell the difference between you and 
the traditionally published people. The what happens is indie authors tend to skimp on certain things at times, uh, create their own covers, um, not get a lot of feedback on their blurbs, you know, different things like that, and so they tend to. You, you tend to have the failing is not in the market. The failing is in us as indie authors embracing what the things we need to do to make ourselves fit into the market. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's it. I mean, I think if you're doing things correctly, there's, it should be very difficult for someone to tell that you're an indie published author. Um, sometimes I can tell just by the cover. I can go, mm-hmm. oh, the author created their own cover. And people are like, how can you spot that? And I'm like, because I am not a graphic designer and a cover maker, but I have a cover designer. Um, and I look at other people's covers all the time. And I can mm-hmm. tell a lot of times, unless you have really studied, there are some people that can create great covers of their own covers, but they have usually worked at that. Kate's horn here. <laughs> yeah. They, they have usually Kate, worked pretty hard. Yeah. At that, right. Well, Kate is a graphic designer. Like for her yes, work too. My, my day job. Yeah. Um, oh, so, well, yeah. And before I mean, this, like her, I did. Uh, you go. No, like Kate. Uh, Kate does illustrated covers, and um, also her own um, Photoshop covers too. You should check out her covers and mine because she did them. So oh. <laughs> she does an amazing job. She's well, I might have to talk to Kate about an il- a couple illustrated covers for my one series because the the stock covers don't work really well. Um, mm-hmm. But I wrote, I wrote a certain uh, romantic comedy under a pen name, and I just literally mm-hmm. slapped kind of – I had my cover designer do this cover that I'm not, like, exceptionally happy with, but I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, it works, right? Um, and this mm-hmm. book keeps selling, so I really need to concentrate on it and, like, actually make it a better cover and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't do it initially because I, I wrote the book on a dare, and then I threw it out there thinking, ah, whatever. And every – conference that i go to every book signing thing that i go to i sell out of that book before i sell on any of my others um that's fantastic what was the dare uh what was the dare okay that's a long story but we got a little (laughs) bit of time we're already over time so whatever you know um but uh so oh man series listen to what i'm saying too what the hell um anyway uh so so what happened is 2019, December of 2019, I was trying to come up with a challenge for myself for 2020. Um, and a friend of mine had already challenged me to a short story challenge of writing 52 short stories in 2020, one a week, right? Oh, All wow. of them had to be okay. 2,000 words long, uh, that type of thing, right? Um, so me being okay. who I am, I'm thinking commercially, like, how can I sell these? Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm like, I'm going to write them all in the same world. I'm going to write all these stories, right? Um, and so December 2019, before that. any of us knew what 2020 was going to be, uh-huh. I put out this stupid post on Facebook. One of the stupidest decisions I've ever made. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to write a million words in 2020. Who wants to join me? And I'm thinking, no one is going to join me because they're going to realize how insane I am. Yeah, right? no, my brain just hurts. And so they're, they're <laughs> like, I'm not going to do it, right? But 40 people joined my Facebook group wow. to write a million words in 2020, right? 40 people. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Did you guys not understand the number? There was an extra zero there. <laughs> you see the extra zero? Um, but anyway, so I'm like, oh, whatever. You know, here goes, right? Um, and so, but then 2020 turned into what it was. Well, certain writer friends of mine, they froze. Like 2020, they went, the world is a mess mm-hmm. and I cannot write. Yeah. And I, I completely understood that. Except yeah, that my fair. default was, 
to oh, write the more. world is really shit. So my escape yeah. is to go into is to go into writing. That like, was that's my too. escape. I escape into writing. So by November, by November, mind you, I was over a million words already. Wow. So Holy which means smokes. I have tons of material, some of it good, some of it not so good to do things with, right? And I've been going through that over the past few years. Um, but so it comes time for nano. And a friend of mine messages me and says, hey, are you going to do nano this year? And I went, <laughs> I just started so laughing. Nice. I'm like, what? Like, have you been following my year? Like, I have written over a million words. Why am I going to do nano? Um, but during that time, I have been doing some uh, webinars for plotter, for romance writers. Mm. I decided I need to come up with this crazy story idea that's funny to do a demo for romance writers. So I came up with the call of Karen. Um, and it was basically where Karen and Cthulhu, uh, internet Karen and Cthulhu oh my meet God. and I they fall it. in love <laughs> and they go on an adventure together. Right. Um, oh and it's God. just an, an action adventure romance. Right. Oh, that's um, so called the call of Karen. And so she was like, I was like, I don't have anything to write for November. Oh, but wait, I do. And she goes, I dare you to write that book for November because everybody <laughs> that heard so that bad. romance thing that webinar said if you write that book i would read it and i went i'm not going to write that book i mean this is exactly what i said all of 2020 i'm not going to write that book it was the stupidest book on the planet why would i write that book i'm not going to write that book um and in november came around i wrote that book right so the I next year it. like i had it edited and all that kind of stuff and the next year i literally just threw it out there under a pen name and i'm like i don't even care what happens to this book it was written on a dare it's funny but people either find it or they won't and I'd put it on Kindle oh, wow. Bella first as episodes, and then after it was after it had been on there for a while, I put it out there as a book, right? Um, and all of a sudden, like people are like, it's selling. And I'm like, why is this stupid book selling? Um, and then people would come to to uh, conferences and stuff, and the the opening of the prologue is hilarious. And so I would tell people at the conference, I'd be like, read the first page of that; it'll tell you what the rest of the book is all about. And I would just turn away whatever. And they'd read the first page and they would buy it. Then they would bring their friends back who would buy it too. And it was That's like so incredible. Cool. Right. And so this year in November, I wrote the sequel to it. So, um, anyway, that's what I did for nano this year, but that's how I, that's how that book came about. Like I wrote it on a dare and was like, whatever, I didn't care what happened to it. So, um, it was kind of fun to let my muse just play, but at the same time, yeah. I was like, well, maybe, it, maybe now that it's actually selling and I wrote a sequel, I should take it seriously enough to put a decent cover on it. Um, but mm. anyway, so <laughs> I may have to talk with you about that. Um, cause you need to illustrate Cthulhu and Karen. So yeah. yeah and they've got to be in the throes of passion, of course. In the like, throes of passion. Those... Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Of... Well, yeah. There's the storm. Because my friend, my one friend was like, so. She goes, I, I'm not sure I want to read this because what happens when they kiss? Like, how does that work? And I'm like, oh, how you just have to work? read it to find out. And I, she was <laughs> like, I don't know if I want to read that and find out. I'm like, well, you should. It's funny. I promise uh, it's funny. But anyway. so That um, is a delight. I love it. Yeah, it was a blast. But anyway, because sometimes as writers, we just have to let our muse play. Right? Just let our muse do yeah, what it is... wants. Um, because this job, okay. Going back to Plotter, one of the things a Plotter does for you is it makes your this job more fun, right? You have less pain in this job because mm -hmm. I tell people constantly, this job of writing full-time is the hardest job that you will ever yeah. have in your life. There are easier ways to make money. 
right? If you want to just make money, there's easier ways to make money. But so the writing part might as well be fun because this is hard, right? I'm not going to tell mm-hmm. you that this mm-hmm. is easy or that at some point it gets any easier, that you're suddenly, you've written 30 <laughs> novels and oh, your life is just wonderful. I go, no, it, it doesn't really work that way either. Um, and I wish I could tell you some kind of happy story that it does, but you still struggle. You still have those days when you want to quit. Um, you still have imposter syndrome, whatever the case may be. So you need to make this as fun as possible. So sometimes you need to just go and let your muse play and do whatever it wants to do and not worry about whether it's commercially viable or not, or whether you can sell it or whatever. And then just worry about that part later. So, yeah. Anyway. That is such a challenge though. Yeah. To like not edit uh, while writing and yeah, or like more knowledge know. just creates more challenge with that. Yeah, it does. Yeah. That's that's the other thing about it is the other thing is the more knowledge you get and the better you get at this, the higher your expectations are for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So forget other mm-hmm. people's expectations, which are already bad enough, but you add yeah. your own expectations on top of that. It it really is challenging. And I mean, listen, I, I always tell people too, this is the most amazing and the most awful job you could ever have. And I love it. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like I wouldn't, you know, but I, I just tell people, if you're going to do this full time as a, as a living, seriously consider like, what that means to you and your life, mm-hmm. because it is, it is dramatic. It is different than what you're, than what you expect it to be. It really is. So just be prepared for that. Um, I, like I said, I love it. I, w- I wouldn't change it, but I mean, it's, it's, it is difficult. It is difficult. So anyway. one of my favorite quotes and I, I, did not hear it directly from the person who gave it. Like it was, I heard it via a podcast because that's how I collect all of my information. Um, (laughs) As our listeners uh, do too. Exactly. Thanks listener. Um, But so the quote was that this prolific author was asked at a conference, like what's the best book you've ever written? And their answer was, I haven't written it yet. And, like, it's yep. just this idea that every single book is better. Yeah. And that, you know, there's just growth in every single page you write. And that's really cool. But I also try to remind myself, like, it's just words. Like, they can yep. all be erased. They can all be moved around. It's just words. Yep, just exactly. Just write the words. So. Well, and I, so I will tell you, the last, you know, the last book that I wrote is the one I'm the proudest of. But I think that the next book in this series will be better, quite honestly. And I mean, mm-hmm. I certainly hope so. I certainly, certainly hope that I've learned something that I move along as I, as I go along, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, but I mean, I, I think that's a very awesome quote. And it's also just really important for no matter what stage of writer you're at, whether you're just starting out as your very first book or whether you're, you know, 15, 20 books in, um, you can always refine and change your pro- change your process. You can always grow. I just never stop learning in this industry, and I mm-hmm. I just don't ever think that I will stop mm-hmm. learning. I, I think if I stopped learning, I'd be going backwards. And it's just um, yeah. th- there's just so much. You you're never gonna master writing so much to the point that you just feel like I don't need to learn anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anybody listening has gotten to that point, please email me because I want to know how you did it. Um, 
and in some ways, in other ways, I don't like, I don't really want to stop learning. I mean, this is just one mm-hmm. of my favorite, um, this is just one of my favorite things on the planet to do. And I just don't know. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what my life would be like without this. I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, all the different things that I do, all of them serve the exact same purpose. Um, and that's just my pat. This is just my passion. And you probably figured that out. I mean, we've been talking for well over an hour. Um, and you probably figured that out by now that this is just, you know, whether it's plot or whether it's just writing related or story structure related, these are just my passions. It's just mm-hmm. what I live for and what I do. And my God, I wouldn't change any of it if I, you know, there's just none of it that I would change. Um, but you're going to be learning forever and ever in this mm-hmm. process. And give yourself that. the tools and give yourselves, the, first of all, give yourself the tools to learn. Um, don't ever take those away from yourself. And second of all, give yourself permission to fail and give yourself permission to learn from it. And that's, that's going to be hmm. some of the number one things you can do. Um, that's really it, good advice. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's been my life. Um, and like I say, I just, there's things about it that I wouldn't trade for anything. So, yeah. So is there anything that you'd like to share about Plotter that we haven't covered um, or that you wanted to go deeper into? Um, well, kind of my final thoughts on it is, is this, and I tell people this all the time. I'm like, basically go and start playing with it and figure out how, if, and how it works for you. Right. Um, there's mm-hmm. a 30 day free trial. Also, the software is super cheap when it comes to writing tools, in my personal opinion. Yeah. I know so start with the, start at the most basic level and learn from there. Um, and I, I typically end with something like this. Like we have a YouTube channel where I've interviewed tons of different writers about how they use Plotter. Um, it's called Thursdays with Troy. It came out on Thursdays a lot of the time, not always consistently, but it came out on <laughs> Thursdays and it was hosted by a guy named Troy. So really got creative with the name there. You guys can probably figure <laughs> that out, right? Um, but the, the thing that happens every time in those pod, in those, um, videos is the, is this. The author says, I start with this plot structure, or I start with this in plotter, or whatever it is that we're talking about, and then. The words and then are the most important thing that they say during that whole interview, because after that comes the part where they tell me how they personalized plotter to work for them. So I tell people when they start using plotter to find your and then. This, this is what the whole goal is. Find your and then and find out how you can make this tool work as a part of your process and the way that you work. But if you just go into any tool, any writing tool that you go in or any writing technique or writing story structure, writing book that you go into, find your own and then. That is the most important thing you can do throughout your entire writing career is find your next and then personalize things, make them work for you. This is your journey. Nobody else's. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause um, I do feel like a lot of softwares, when you try them out, it's that you end up feeling like you're boxed in and you're, you have to work with it the way that it wants you to do your work. What I you know? find a lot of times is like, I get these, like, like Scrivener is a great example. Like it can do so much more than what I use it for. Right. Like I use mm. like 
10% of this program. And like, I find that I get intimidated by too much, too much function. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like Excel. Feature (laughs) overload. Feature overload, (laughs) which is, and this is what I tell people, like I used to use Scrivener, like a lot of the features of Scrivener. I have cut way back because I have Plotter because I've developed a Mm -hmm. different process. It's actually changed my process. But I tell people this too, because a feature is there doesn't mean you have to use it. Mm-hmm. Like there are advanced features in Plotter that there are some things that certain people just never use them. And that's actually fine. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Just because it's there doesn't mean you have to use it. Right. So relax, go in there, play around with things, keep it simple at first and move towards more complex and find your own way. Um, this is just, I mean, this this will be the mantra of your entire writing career, is find your own way. It's your journey. It's your path. Find what works for you. Yeah. I love, I love it. All right. So where can we, where can are people we doing, find you? Kate, are you oh. eliminating our end of oh, podcast? trying to phase that out. <laughs> so this was kate's idea troy Uh, (laughs) scrap my own ideas yeah she wanted to have like like, a a tradition at the end of each each like episode and so she's like we give a piece of writing advice right like whatever you are constantly like not constantly currently but like what you're working on yeah Writing. And you can choose to not give any if you'd like or repeat something you've already said because you've had some really great golden nuggets in here. Um, but yeah, so if you'd like to share a piece of writing advice, um, if you want Kate or I to go first, neither of us ever come with one in the pocket. So. No, <laughs> no, empty brain currently. Oh, yeah. I, I, well, I mean. Okay, so before we get to that, I'll just say basically, look, you can find Plotter at Plotter.com, P-L-O-T-T-R.com, E-L-T-E. You can find it there. Um, And we have tons of support if you're looking for support and if you need help. Um, You can reach out to me directly and contact me. Um, I tell people, if you can't find me, try Google. If Google doesn't work (laughs) to find me, your internet is down. Um, yeah, it works to go great. check mm-hmm. with your provider, um, if you know, <laughs> and then figure that out from there. Um, um, but I will we'll let you guys go also in the show first. notes. Well, yes, and I so. will let you guys go first with um, writing advice, and I will save mine until the end. Okay. Um, mine is be comfortable. Mm. Like, have a blanket on your lap, and have a drink. And somewhere that you feel comfortable physically writing. Okay, and okay. Yeah. Not like a vibes kind of be comfortable, like a physically comfortable. Yeah. Do you want to no. take vibes, Kate? Is that what you're going to do? <laughs> <laughs> no, I really liked what you said, Troy, about allow yourself to fail. I love you know, that I think like yeah. I always kind of keep close to my heart the idea of, allow yourself to write a bad first draft. And I try so hard not to do that anyway. And I'm like, you know, trying to stick to that. But then, you know, like the kind of second part to me is that it's like, you're going to always going to make it better after the bad first draft. But Well, and I have, oh, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
No, I just, I like the idea of allow yourself to fail sometimes because failure is natural. And, you know, I hadn't really thought of it that way in quite a bit. So it's nice to be reminded of that and, mm-hmm. you know, just let that well, take and I'm pressure to, off you. I'm going to like build on that too, because the moments that you take the risk in the manuscript and you're like, I'm going too big, I'm going too big, I'm going too big, but you do it anyway and it lands, those are the moments that, like, actually really excite the reader and, like, Mm. really make them connect. And so if you never take those risks, then you haven't... You haven't created the color that could have been there. Mm. I like that. Very true. Very true. That's very good. And I'm actually just going to build off of that and say (laughs) that... No, because this is super interesting, because one of the advice I give people is don't fall into the trap of plot procrastination. And what I mean by that is that you're over plotting your novel. And the reason 99% of the time, maybe 95% of the time, but a large majority of the time, the reason people fall into this trap is because they're afraid. This is a passion project for mm. them. They love this book. They think this is going to be the best thing they've ever written. And they keep planning it over and over again because they're terrified mm-hmm. to start. Okay. My thing is going to be, I'm not going to tell you not to be afraid. I'm going to tell you to take the risk and start anyway. Because there is nothing greater than that finished first draft of your passion project. Give yourself permission to not be afraid. Give yourself to move the permission to move forward and to write that draft as hard as it might be for you because it's going to be the best thing you've written so far. I love that. All right. That's really warm. Uh, <laughs> you, do you have like a Facebook group you want people to find pe- you at or like um, social social medias that you like yeah, to? Um, you can find me and you can find me on Facebook. I think my Facebook page is author Troy or something like that. Um, or you can find me in the plotter group. You can be friends with me on Facebook if you want. You can chase me on Instagram um twitter still i'm still hanging in there who knows what will happen over there i know right we are too Mm -hmm. but like really what is happening it's kind of fun to watch the dumpster fire if you know what i mean like a like an accident that's that's hard to turn away from um (laughs) and you can find me on tiktok from time to time a friend of mine and i are doing a poetry challenge we did it last year and we're doing it again this year where we're writing a poem every day in december so there's some TikToks out there with some poems, some of my poems on there. Um, and they're super fun because we really challenge each other with different words every day and then have to write a poem. And we I deal them out that. of this. Out of this, uh, We have a, a deck of cards that's called Poetry Poker. And it's just there's, there's a bunch of different decks that we have, and they all have different um, words on them. And sometimes we'll deal one word, sometimes we'll deal three, and you have to figure it out. Um, so come find me on the socials, follow that around. I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm one of the greatest poets of our time, um, but I enjoy the heck out of writing poetry from time to time. And this just happens to be the time of the year that we do a lot of it. So um, come and join really me. I love how, me. You, yeah. how you gamify your writing. 
Oh, yeah. Like, I really love that. Mine as well. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> you do I mean, enough of it. <laughs> I, I mean, it kind of goes back to that having fun thing. You know what I mean? I mean, I yeah. just... Um, and same thing on social media. Like, I might not see you right away or whatever. I'm in and out of there, you know, random, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, I mean... Um, this this whole writing, like I say, this whole writing like thing has to be fun. So hey, come join me. Let's have some fun. Do you mm. have a newsletter and all that? Yep, I have a newsletter and all that. You can sign up at my website at troylambertwrites.com. Um, com. Uh, you can sign up for the plotter one at plotter dot com. Oddly enough, um, and uh, yeah, but I have a newsletter. I have a newsletter that's for writers as well um, that you can kind of join. You can join my regular one too, and then see all the books that I have coming out. Uh, this year is going to be a busy one. There's going to be lots of stuff coming out. All right. Yay. I love that. All right. I'm looking forward to reading Call of Karen. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be able to find it easy enough. I don't think there's a lot of books titled Call of Karen on um, Amazon. I think it's pretty unique. I'm very excited. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Kate, you want to tell them where you're at? Oh. Okay, I was going to tell you to tell them where you're at, but okay. No, you first, Kate, you first. No, okay. All right, um, I'm by Kate Pryor, um, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, for as long as Twitter's there, and yeah, pretty much anywhere there's a social, that's that's my name there. <laughs> um, I am at Marty V Author on TikTok, Twitter, the Insta. And then also MartyV.com. And listener, you're just the cutest. Thank you for being here. Yes. And thank you, Troy, for joining us today. Oh, my goodness. This was such a lovely chat, Troy. Thank you. Yes. Thank I'm you, so guys. This was like a blast. All these things you've shown us. Yeah. I'm this so was a blast. Glad. You guys are awesome. Oh, yeah. I'll come back and chat with you anytime you want. We would oh, love yes. that. We would <laughs> love that. I feel like there's so many other questions I have. Like, Tell me the trends you've seen in industry and like all of that. So <laughs> tell me all of the things you know, Troy. <laughs> hey, no problem. I'll come back anytime you want. We can talk about whatever topic you want. It's great. I love it. I love it. Well, listener, you have a lovely day and we'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.